Today, an interview with series continues with a totally different individual, someone who's not on the sporting field, but they actually speak to sporting heroes. We're sitting down with Jordan Jarrett Bryan. And uh, Jordan, how are you? Good evening, man. I'm very good, thank you. How are you, my friend? I'm not too bad. I didn't give you the big enough build-up, to be honest. What do you mean? That was no, 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 There's no need for that. No, 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 let me cut in there. There's no, no need no, for the no, big no, build-up. No, 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 I'm no. not a special. I'm a journalist. I do my thing, and I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Listen, let me just say this. With a number of strings to his bow, he is the channel's, Channel 4 sports reporter journalist. <laughs> he is a freelance journalist, right? He is the founder and director, I hope I got that right, of Blackademic mm -hmm. TV, uh, mm -hmm. which under its umbrella has podcasts, TV programs, etc., and articles. And he's currently on TalkSport. We have Jordan Jarrett Bryant. <laughs> good evening. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good. I'm glad you, you, you found time for me because you obviously you're busy. You're busy. There's busy. no, there's no downtime for someone who works in sports media. This is the busy time. This is... <sighs> Everything. Oh, bro, it's, it's a madness. But um, and I'm actually trying to get better at, at, at saying no. You know, I get I get requests to do podcasts and recordings and interviews and stuff all the time, and I love it. You know what I mean? I, I don't care if you're the BBC or if you're just my man down the road that wants to try a little thing on his podcast. I don't business. I like talking about football, and if I can bless up anybody's show, I do that. But I need to get. I can't do everything all the time. You know what I mean? I've got to some some point in the day, just like right, you know what? So after this, the phone's going off. I'm going to put yeah. on some stupid TV on Netflix, eat some food and just, just you know what I mean? Just shut down for a couple of hours and, and go to bed because I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting really bad at my work-life balance. Since, but... since, you, since you mentioned Netflix, right, let's just, just throw it out there for, for mm -hmm. the listeners. What, what are you watching? Um, I'm watching... So huh, I'm one of those really messed up people, Rodney, that I'm watching about six things at the same time. <laughs> I can't finish... It's, it's a madness. So I'm watching The Fool. Okay. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, I'm about halfway through I'm watching The Fall, but I'm also watching IT Crowd. I'm also watching People Just Do Nothing. I'm, what, I'm about halfway through two documentaries. I can't remember what, they, what they're called. Um, what else am I watching? I'm, 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 I'm a mess. I've just finished Sons of Anarchy. Okay. Um, yeah, a whole bunch of different things. And plus on Amazon, so on, on Amazon, I'm watching the, the Spurs thing. Sorry. I've got to catch up on. A, I've got to finish. Um, what's uh -oh. Michaela Cole's thing on BBC? Um, oh, um, um, I may destroy you. Yes, I've got. I've got one more episode to that. So I'm all over the gaff. Brilliant I'm all stuff. over the places. I'm in pieces. Brilliant stuff. You know um, I mean? Do you know what? I want to find out because with the time that we have, I want to find out about obviously what you're doing. But in terms of how did you get into the position where <coughs> you are? What, what was the inspiration for a young and? and a young Jordan Jarrett Bryan to go and say, I want to be a sports reporter. Where does that come from? So for me, it wasn't until about 10 onwards that it was definitive I wanted to go into sports media. Wow. Um, but I knew that I wanted to go into media and be a writer. And it all started, Rodney, when I, I just realised I was good at writing and I enjoyed writing. So I do so much... Um, mentoring now, I mentor like about 15 to 20 different young people mm. across many charities and organizations that I work with and for. And um, one of the main things I get asked is, so how do we work out? And I do lots of talks at universities and colleges too. And one of the main questions is, how do we work out what it is we're meant to do? How do we work out what's the job for us? And I can talk for 10, 15, even half an hour 
about how that process works, no problem. But essentially it's this, and I, this, is, this is what worked for me. Work out the thing that you love and work out the thing that you're good at. Now people think that's very simplistic and very well, that's easy, that's, that, that can't be the, but when you really deep it and think about it, Rodney, how many things in life do you love and that same thing that you're very good at as well? There'll be things that you love, but you're just not good at. And there'll be things that you're really good at, but I don't really love it. So for me, it was basketball. Basketball was something, I, I was very, very good at basketball. Mm. Played it at school for many, many years. I never loved basketball, I never loved it. I was just good at it. Mm. And then football was the opposite. I always loved football, but I was average at best. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't yeah. great. So I said to young people, work out with the thing you love, what gets you up in the morning. I bounce out of bed in the morning, Rodney, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have a job that I love. I've got ideas, I've got a to-do list, I've got a plan, I've got meetings, I've got things to do and I love it. I, I wake up and I'm like, boom, I love this job. I can't wait to get to the office. I can't wait to get to the set. I can't wait to get to filming or recording, wherever it may be. And, com and com combined with that, I'm very good at my job too. I'm very good at what I do. So and that took many, many years and there's things to improve on and I make mistakes, I'm not perfect, but I think I'm quite good at what I do. So it started from the fact that I realized very early on that when it, come to when it came to creative writing in particular, I realized I had a passion, I had a talent and I enjoyed it. I mean, it was the only class at school, apart from maybe PE, that I actually was early for. I loved it. I was queued up outside about my English classes. I just loved it, really enjoyed it. And was like, yeah, this is what I like doing. And I kind of, I was very lucky that I came across a magazine based in Brixton when I was 13. Mm. It was a youth magazine looking for, it was a youth magazine written by young people for young people about youth culture. And I got involved and started doing some articles with them, just some album reviews some minor stuff. And within six months, they offered me the job as editor. Um, and I did that for seven years, working with some professionals in the industry and gained a huge portfolio, gained lots of, ex lots of um, experience. And from then I just kind of took off and it was like, no, nah, this, this is me. This media thing is me. But that was mainly youth culture and music. So at that point, my, a lot of my writing and media work was related to youth culture and, and, and music. And I made the decision, I think I was about 24, 23 I was like no I love sports I've always loved sports I'm a big Arsenal fan I'm always chatting about sports I love sports I, I want to write about sports I thought you was a Spurs fan hey I told hey. you I'd make you laugh didn't I that, that is real <laughs> no I'm offended the Spurs fan no way um, and, I, and I know you know I'm an Arsenal fan as well I know so I know I know you talk well so well um, so I just, I just I love sport and then one, one of my mentors said to me he was a journalist as well he said to me that's great but just so you know, that you know that sport, you should know that sports journalism is the most competitive area of journalism out there. And I was like, really? He's like, yes. And what, more than music? Yes. What, more than fashion? Yes. More than politics? Yes. I was like, okay. So just, I'm not saying don't go into it, don't pursue it, but just yeah. do it knowing it is the most competitive area of journalism. So I was like, cool, whatever. And then opportunities came up eventually and did a few bits and pieces. And I kind of got my first break um, doing some work at the, leading up to the 2012 Paralympic Games for Channel 4. And then I kind of made the transition then from print journalism to broadcast journalism. And then, then yeah, snowballed from there. Did the, did the 2016 game, 2012 Games. And then um, I got a job at Channel 4 News off the back of that as their sports reporter. 
did the 2016 games in Rio. Um, and then about two, uh, two years ago, started doing some bits and pieces for TalkSport. <clears throat> um, and that's, again, that's just snowball. I'm doing more and more things. Something big's coming quite soon. So I don't know, don't know when this is coming out, but by the time this comes out, there may be an announcement um, in regards to my next move come, you know, come, coming, coming out. So, yeah. But, but to answer your question, it all started from just having a passion for journalism. And not even journalism, writing. writing. Just writing. Because when you're yeah. 10 years old, you don't know about journalism. Well, you know about, you're told creative writing is what, is what, they, what they call it. And I was good at that. Well, you, you know, you, you, you smash the myth, don't you, really? You go against what, what's been said in terms of young, young black boys at the time. They don't read. They don't write. They're not interested in... You, 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 you went against the grain, so mm -hmm. they would say. Uh, and I know that's not, not the case anyway, but, um, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that you found your passion so early on in your life mm. and you had a plan and you had the opportunity to hone your skills and you had a mentor and from that what you said in terms of that you had a mentor who was in the industry you know who are you able to name them and and, and what yeah. did they actually do for you so he was brilliant so the idea and the premise of live magazine the magazine i was working with when i was 13 was that it was to try and give young people from the area of lambeth mm. um an introduction into journalism and 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 media so there was the, the three main pillars were writing photography and design so that those are the three main areas of the magazine you need journalists you need photographers you need someone that can design it and put to put it together so the the premise was look okay you young people want to come to us we will pair you up they had funding from lambeth council and um, we'll pair you up with a with an industry seasoned professional so if you if you say i want to take pictures cool all right well then we'll pair you up with John Bob or John Smith, who's a freelance photographer for The Guardian. Okay, you wanna, you wanna write, all right, cool. We'll pair you up with the, the music editor at Time Out, whatever, proper, proper like established professionals. And I got paired up with, who was then the editor of Dazed and Confused, is um, a good friend of mine now still, a guy called Callum McGeoch. Um, and he was brilliant, he was brilliant. He was, he was really good for me, good to me. You know, it was really approachable. We got on really well. Um, we had similar interests as well, so that helped. And he kind of just, he, he gave me an intro into the industry, but he also kind of gave me work experience at Dazed. He also gave me some work subsequently at Dazed as well. And a, one of the biggest things he did, which I think I took away from my time under him as a mentee, was he introduced me to the networking, the process of networking. Now, I'm quite a confident, outgoing person anyway, so talking to strangers isn't really a big deal for me, even when I was young but he talked me through the importance of networking. So like for every, you, 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 I'm sure you know this as well, for every album that comes out, there'll be about three or four album parties or three or four listing events or every film that comes out, there'll be a screening that only, you know, the top 30 film writers in the country will be invited to three months before the film comes out. He'd been the editor of Days and Confused, he'd got all those invites. So he'd invariably either bring me along with him or just give it to me and say, like, I can't go, you should go. And he was like, no, no, you should go. You should go. Go to this. Not, not because it was going to be good, but he knew that it would be good for me. And that environment of just kind of talking and putting my name out there and mingling with other journalists and seeing how the process worked um, was, was invaluable to me. And also just mixing, it wasn't even so much mixing with the journalists. It was mixing with the PRs. 
because he knew at Live Magazine, you cover music, film, computer games, um, all the kind of things that are youth, youth relevant. You need to be in with the guy at, at Sony Music that is going to give you, you know, a heads up on the new PlayStation console or PlayStation. You need to be in there with the guy at, I don't know, Aris the Records, so that when that new Backstreet Boys album comes out, you're getting it before everyone. Do you know what I mean? You need to be mm. in with those people. And it was a very good lesson in how to network with the relevant people, the right people, to get your name out there. But just try and forge a reputation for yourself. You're the editor. All right, it's a local free magazine, but you're the editor, you're the editor of a magazine. So push out your chest and get involved. And that's one of the main things that he... he um, that he taught me. And to this day, yeah, I think we're, we're very good friends now. And he's someone that I'd still, you know, lean to and call every now and again, say, yo, Cal, I've got this move or I've got that move. And I think the pro- he was the first person that made me realise the importance of editors. So, I mean, he was the first person that made me realise how and why editors were, were, were important. Um, and I said to myself back then, Rodney, if I ever get into a position where I'm a senior journalist or a broadcaster or editor, whatever it may be, mm. I 100% will, will take mentoring seriously and always give back. And now mentoring up to 20 people across different groups, like I said, because not because it's, it's an ego thing for me, but it's because one, I see the value of importance um, that mentoring offers young people. But I think now more than ever, in the position that I'm in, a disabled black man from southeast london young people they they need that sort of that sort of figure more than ever now because it's mm. you know it's, it's, it's become a an old white boys club journalism the media has been for years mm. and they need to see somebody on channel 4 news um, looking like me they need to see or hear someone like me on talk sport talking like how they talk with their friends one of the things that i do quite consciously now i don't do it all the time but i do it um you know, I do it fairly regularly. When I present the news or when I do a live on Channel 4 News, I take out my locks. So yeah. more time I tie up my locks because my locks are so long. It's just a, you know, just a ball ache having them flying all over the place. Um, but when I'm, if I present the news or if I'm on TV, a lot of the time now I'll deliberately take out my locks because, one, I look good, but two, <laughs> it's more, <laughs> two, it's more I want black kids to see someone presenting the national news with dreadlocks and realize, rah, I get tweets and texts and DMs all the time. Like, yo, I just saw you on the thing. Oh, people would tweet things. Who's this guy on Channel 4 News dreadlocks? And I'm going to say, it's not a vanity thing at all, but I think representation is important. Yeah. And I think in my role as a mentor, it's not just about the one-to-one relationship that I have with these young people. That I love and that is, that is crucial. Don't get it twisted. But just flicking through the news and seeing someone that looks like you, or your uncle, or your dad, or your big brother, reading the news. I think we're used to seeing black men with cane row, bouncing a ball, kicking footballs, rapping and singing. We're used to that. We know that we own that space. But what we don't see is black men in, in media, and black women in media that, that look like our mums and our aunties and our sisters, with their hair the same way, talking the same way, not talking like, one of the things that I've spent years working on, I'm talking a lot now, sorry, but I'll wrap up in a second. One of the things that I've spent years on, Rodney, and I'm still working on it now, it's just been, it's talk like you, Jordan. Now, when you're a broadcaster, there's a certain, there's, there's certain structures of how you present. So broadcasting, you know, it's about enunciation, it's about pronouncing words, 
It's about a certain tempo. Those are things that everyone just has to do, black, white, whatever. But for years, and I still fall into it sometimes now, I spoke like I thought a newsreader should speak. Mm. So I spoke like, John, I didn't speak like Jon Snow, but I spoke like how I thought a broadcast, Jon Snow was the epitome of how, well, if you're a newsreader, that's how you read the news, right? And it's yeah. like, no, that's how Jon Snow talks. And that's fine. That's not how, people say to me all the time, Jordan, when I hear your packages, I think to myself, really good package. But that's not you. That doesn't sound, when you talk to me on the phone or talk to me offline, that's not how you talk. And I'm working on talking like how I talk. One, because I want to be true to myself. But secondly, I think it's important that other people, other young black boys and girls, see and hear people like me being authentic and feeling like that guy on the news, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, he sounds and looks like my next door neighbor on my state. That's important to me because that's where representation really has an impact because it feels normal then, it feels reachable. It feels like, well, if he can do it and my neighbor looks like him, then why can't I do it? Do you know, do you know what I mean? So that's all important I, to me. I, 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 you said so many things there. Like it, it reminded me of, you know, when I started to work in local authority and, and in schools and, um, you know, there's stuff that we'll talk offline, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's mm -hmm. things that I want to share that, don't want to share right now but what i will say when you talk about the voice so that you sound like you you know when i go into certain local authorities when i worked and i use this telephone voice and then you turn up and they go oh yeah black mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it's a very Person. different a very different reaction that mm -hmm. i had on the phone so i totally mm -hmm. get it and i do remember when you first um when I first saw you on, on Channel 4 on the news, and it was like a big thing. It was like, yeah, you see, you see that guy on Channel? Yeah, wicked, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wicked, you know? So, you know, I totally understand what you said in terms of being visible, how people can relate to you, how you sound like, what you look like, the importance of, not so much like strong role models, but someone that looks like the people who are watching the news, that they can see a range and you, you were part of that range and, and it's really good that you actually understand your importance visually totally. and you at this at the moment in time where you are not at the end of your career mm -hmm. you know you're not at the beginning but you're in a point where you feel comfortable so that's 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 really good you know what i wanted to ask you about you know with with channel four and obviously you mentioned john snow who He's a legend just for the ties mm -hmm. and the socks, you know. I mean, I mean he's, just, <laughs> he's a real, he's I'm, a real I'm, one. Literally, I'm, I'm so jealous. Every time I see his socks, I'm thinking, where does he get those socks from? <laughs> you need to tell him, tell him I want to know where you're getting those socks from. Um, <laughs> yeah, when you, when you got your, your first report, when you were told your first brief in terms of you got to do this report, mm -hmm. um, you know, how did you feel? Were you nervous? Were you excited? How did you feel about that, that first timing when you were probably going to be either recording it for it to then go out or to do it live? How did you feel? Um, I was very excited. I was really excited. Um, uh, I don't remember. I think it would have been a package or a, it would have been a package on some sport. So you wouldn't have seen me, but you'd have heard a minute of my voice underneath some some football action probably. So I remember being, I, I was definitely excited. I don't get nervous. I mean, okay, 
I, I would, there would have been some level of nerves. It's your first time on Channel 4 News, you know what I mean? So uh, I wouldn't say I was totally nerveless, um, but I'd done some live TV before uh, leading up to that. So it wasn't my first time doing, doing TV work. Um, and I don't suffer from nerves generally anyway. I always say if I mess up, I never really blame it on nerves. It, was, it would have been, I just had a brain fart or lack of prep. Um, but I, I never blame it on nerves. I, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't get nervous really. Um, I'm quite, I suppose, lucky in that sense. Um, but it would have been nervous and there's a, I'm sorry, excitement. But there's a, there's a big pressure at Channel 4 News because as you know, Channel 4 News has got a massive reputation, man. And there's a high standard at Channel 4 News. We're a serious news programme. And that sounds like I'm having a dig at the other news outlets, which I'm not. But I think if you know news, you know, we don't play around, man. Channel 4 News is like, the journalism is on point. We don't always get it right. Not everything we do I agree with or, or think is good. Uh, but generally, I think with the resources that we have and the finances that we have, I think we punch way above our weight. When you consider that we're up against Sky, Sky have channels. Forget programs, they have, they have a 24-hour channel and the BBC have multiple ones as well. So when you're up against those organisations that have, you know, CNN and Al Jazeera, they have channels for news. <laughs> we have an hour every day. I, I think we'd be back well above our, punch well above our, our weight. Um, but yeah, I think I was just excited, you know, just doing sport and talk. I get, listen, Rodden, I get paid to talk about sport for a living. It's like, you know what I mean? No brainer, really. Come on, man. It's like, there's, there's worse jobs out there. So, trust um, me. I'm blessed. Trust me, there are, there are worse jobs. Yeah, I've done some of them. I've had a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? On, for real. Um, which, which has been the best event? Which has been the best event that you've reported on? Ooh. Okay, well, I say, oh, that's an easy one. Um, the, the obvious one for me would have been the um, 2018 World Cup in Russia. Because I think as any sports fan or as any budding sports reporter or sports journalist, the pinnacle is covering a World Cup. I think that's the dream for most sports media fans. To, to be sent to a World Cup was, was there was a real moment of pride for myself in that I'd worked hard. I'd missed out on bloody Kemi and Zerum, who was a sports correspondent. So he was like, he was like my senior at Channel 4 News uh, around that time, or just before that time. Um, he got to go to the last Euros and the last World Cup and the last Olympics in Brazil and all that stuff. And I was like, man, missed out again. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's part of the process. Kemi was this correspondent. I was a reporter. You just got to wait your turn and bide your time and, you know, put, put you know, you got to pay your dues. And I was like, as much as I was pissed, I was like, you know, you just got to wait your turn, Jordan, two years' time. There's always a Euros or a World Cup in two years and Olympics. You just got to hope that one falls your way and, that fell my way, and I, I got sent out twice to Russia during the during the six weeks, whatever it was. Mm. So I remember being on the plane, or I remember being at Luton, Luton or Stansted, one of the airports, and looking out at. I was in the waiting area, looking out the plane. I was about to take off. It was our plane. They were kind of getting. They were preparing it. I just thinking to myself. I took a picture, and I think I posted it on my Instagram page. But I just thought to myself, "You're going to a World Cup." And I had to just deep that for a few minutes. You're going, you're, you're, you're working, not going, you're working at a World Cup. I just thought, 
Man, I just feel I just feel so proud of myself. I've done a lot of great things in my time, Rodney. A lot of great things. <laughs> I don't know, I've done some I've done some some really great, amazing things. But that that was one time where I thought, nah man, I'm 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 proud of you, Jordan. You've 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 worked so hard and how many sports journalists would love to get sent to a World Cup? There are people that work in this in this industry for three times longer than me and I haven't been sent to a World Cup. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? I, I was like, yeah, man, nah. I don't big, big you up often, Jordan, but I had a little chat with myself. I was like, nah, 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 nah. You, you, you smashed it, you smashed it. And so that was from a, a, a pinnacle point of view, but also the Rio Paralympics in 2016. Because although I, did, although I did London, which was a phenomenal event for me, which in some ways was on par with the World Cup, because that was my first major sporting tournament. And it happened to be in London, in my home city. That was massive. That was my first introduction into a live sporting event. Um, and the people think, <clears throat> so people think a lot of the time, it's all glamour. Running around to different games and events and flying over the place and hotels. Oops, sorry. Um, people need to understand, especially when you're doing like a, a, a you know, a World Cup. I didn't do the, I didn't do the World Cup in, in, um, in Brazil. Mm. Uh, Kemi did that one but people need to understand those days are long it's a lot of work doing these days you know I wouldn't swap it for anything but it's you've got to just to give you a flavor so in a country like Brazil and Russia that are massive as well so I don't I don't remember what it is but the time difference you've got to factor that in so if we're on there at 7 p.m um on on you know in the UK You've got to make sure that you've packaged your event. If you're six hours or 10 hours behind, you've got to package your event. You've got to prepare your live. You've got to get to your live spot. You've got to set up the camera. Your camera goes set up the camera. You've got to be ready for it. You might be stuck in traffic. You might, um, it, might it was hot. You know, I'm not complaining, but you're running around with your carrying kit, which you're producing your cameraman. You've got your, your suit on, you know, all the it's a lot of what you don't, you don't eat all day sometimes. You're interviewing people. You've got to give press conferences after the game or after the race or after the match, whatever. It's a long day. You've got to be up again, the crack of dawn, to catch a flight, to go across Russia or across. It sounds glamorous from the outside, but it's a lot of work. And that was, London was interesting because London, there wasn't any of that because it's, it's all, it was all in London. And I know London. But Rio, we got a, I got a feel of what an international tournament was like and the traveling involved and the timings involved and all that sort of stuff. And it is, it, it, but it, so London was great. It was my first one. Rio was brilliant because it was my first international um, sporting event. But yeah, Russia was, Russia World Cup was, was, was amazing because it was football and it's just the World Cup, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I have to say that I've never been to a World Cup, so I'm not bitter. Most, most people haven't. That's why I'm blessed. Most people haven't, you know what I mean? And I got paid to be there, Rodney. I didn't go as a fan. I got paid to be there. That's a criminal. It's criminal. Um, do you know what, right? This is the question that's come to me now. I'm thinking Russia, World Cup, blessed, best thing. As a reporter, journalist, in, in dealing with sports, have you ever been to an event where you thought, why am I here? Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've done some stories that I've been like, "Why am I here?" But sporting events—that's yeah. um, a good question. You know, they didn't send you to Crofts one year, and you go, "What am I doing?" No. Um, 
Uh, I mean, I've covered some sports that I don't particularly love, but I understood why I was there. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't think of anything. No. Uh, it got me thinking now, man. Well, that's good to no. because you say you love your job. You get up, you say you get up with a spring, you're keen. So if you're thinking, you know, if you, you know, you're taking more than 30 seconds, there isn't one or there hasn't no. been one. I've, I've, I've been sent to a few, like I say, stories or press conferences that I thought this is pointless because maybe it's like, I know full well that this isn't going to be on tonight's programme. It's not going to make, but they've, they've sent me anyway or I've done some stories, excuse me, where I've been like, this is not a story. This is, this is like, our editors kind of got in a tiz about this thing that's blowing up on Twitter, but I know full well, this is not a story. This is, this is, a, this is an internet story. This is a Twitter story. This is not a real story. Um, but no, I can't think of an event or a sports that I've been to that I've, no, no, no. That's good. Well, I just thought I'd throw it in there because you, you know, you spoke with such passion about Russia and Brazil. I just thought, yeah, man, yeah. throwing that little curveball. I want to just move away a little bit from the whole Channel Four thing. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your, your what the, the company you founded, Black Academic. Yeah. Um, what was the driving force for you to establish that, and what what was the aim primarily? Okay, so the driving force. And I'll get to the aim in a second. The driving force was having worked at Channel 4 News for, I think at that point, it was about five years. Um, so Channel 4, we do what we call live discos, so discussions. So yeah. we have, if there's, a, if there's a topic or a new story, we'll have guests in the studio <clears throat> to discuss or debate that particular issue. And I was noticing that whenever we would have a live discussion on something to do with Brexit or something politically related, invariably it would be two or three white guests. You have a discussion on knife crime or something sport related, invariably it'd be black guests. So I just thought, hmm, I don't like that. Because I know people that are highly qualified, experienced, and have important and interesting things to say about politics. I know people that work in, that, that are historians, that are scientists, that are um, business leaders. Why are we never invited on for those topics? But yet, you want to chat about fried chicken, knife crime, or Arsenal, then, you, you know, you, you're quick to kind of ask us for, for, for our mate to come in the studio. So I thought, I don't like that. And, and, and I actually thought Channel 4 News, we were, we were on the better outlet in terms of, we were relatively mixed with our panel in terms of diversity. But across the board, I was just like, nah, I'm not, this isn't good. So I just thought, you know what, well, I'll do it myself. I know these people. These people need to be platformed. I'm not an academic. I'm not the smartest person that I know. I know uh, <laughs> I'm regularly the dumbest. I'm smart, but I'm often the dumbest person in the room with the circles that I move in, which was my mum said to me, a good sign. She said to me, Jordan, when you too often become the smartest person in the room, you're doing something wrong. You know what I mean? So I, I'm often around people that are much smarter than me and I'm fine with that. So I just thought, why are these people not on TV? Why are these people not being called in to talk about Brexit or to talk about the economy or to talk about, you know, um, legislation? What's going on here? So I just thought, you know what, sure, I'll do it myself because I think that these people should be heard and platformed. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that was my main drive, to, to platform and empower 
uh, black people to talk about the issues that were important to us. And also that was kind of parallel with the fact that I was seeing too much of, too many issues relevant to our community, Rodney, that were being held by the likes of Piers Morgan and Nick Ferrari. And I just thought, what's going on out here? Why, is, why are these guys, talk, why are these guys directing the narrative around you know, why black men are, are being stabbed on the streets. Why are these men the, 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 the prominent voices on, you know, why black boys are, are not, you know, getting kicked out of school? Why is Piers Morgan talking for my community? What do you mean? Move, man. So I was like, no. Why don't the community talk, for the, talk about the community? Why don't we talk about what we believe? Because we know, we know the problems. We know the answers. We know what's going on in, amongst ourselves. So... I just thought, no, let, let, let the black people talk about things that are affecting black people. Um, so that was a, that was a drive. It's kind of splintered off into so many other areas that I wanted to kind of go into, which it is affecting. But primarily, it was just driven by the fact of I wasn't seeing enough black, black people in the mainstream and black issues being discussed by black people. Yeah, do you know what? Um, I totally understood the driving force, but I wanted to ask the question. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you saw what everyone else saw and what mm -hmm. everyone else heard. You know, I, you know, again, this is not about me, but I'm going to interject and add a little something. I read one of the books many years ago. I read um, The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. Mm -hmm. James. And I had someone say to me, why are you reading that book? And I said, well, you know. And they didn't like the fact that it was primarily about a black slave who had, you know, defeated certain individuals Mm -hmm. and escaped captivity and I just thought well look it's one book you know I get mm -hmm. up every day I watch white tv mm -hmm. I read white newspapers I listen to mm -hmm. white radio it's one book but they were slightly upset mm -hmm. for a better word with the fact that I've read the book and I was so openly reading it as well like on the mm -hmm. train and things like that mm -hmm. so I totally get why you started the, 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 the Black Academic TV podcast and how it's broadened out. I mean, you know, in terms of where you want to take the platform, do you have an idea where you want to, yeah. where you want to take it or is it, are you going to let it kind of morph so, into areas where, and, and as a natural growth? So, yeah, the, 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 the principles of the show still will always be a show that, platforms black opinions and black expertise that are around centered around um issues that are relevant to our community um that will always be the pillar of what the show's about but where i want it to go <clears throat> where i want it to go is to be um a beacon for young black people in particular to going back to what i was saying earlier on about representation i want black kids to look at this channel and be like oh rah we're newsreaders? Oh, wow. We're scientists? Oh, wow. We're local politicians? We're business leaders? We're historians? We are uh, designers? We're not just rappers and footballers? Do you know what I mean? Um, and I want them to feel inspired that when they turn on, because when my kids, my, my kids, my, I ain't got no kids, my friends who have kids, I've got friends who've got kids between the ages of six months and 10. Some older, but generally, I'm, I'm thinking about that generation because I don't think things are going to change in my lifetime. But I want to make sure that my friends' kids, when they're 15, 20, 25, 
it's normal to see a black guy presenting the news. It's normal to see a panel of four people on LBC and two of them be black. It's normal to hear, you know, a, a billionaire black, black man or black woman. These things are just normal rather than <gasps> it being a shock. Do you know what I mean? So I'm doing it because I want to normalize, but also empower and inspire young black boys and girls to make them know that even if you don't want to go into media, some want to go into media and the rep representation there is important. But even if you don't want to go and do what I'm doing, you just watching my show, it makes you think, I can set up my own barbershop, or I can set up my own hair salon, or I can set up my own, you know, um, production house or fashion shop or whatever it may be, cuisine, shop, whatever it is you want to do. Oh, I can do it. Why? Well, Jordan did it. He ain't not special. He didn't come from a rich family. He did it. So why can't, why can't I do it? And I think it's that whole saying of, I'm going to shout out Michelle Moore here, who's a good friend of mine and um, does a lot of work with, um, she's a consultant that works with a lot of women, um, and in particular black girls and black women in terms of empowerment. She said to me years ago, if you see it, you can be it. And I, and I believe that. I, I want young black boys and girls to see our show and, and want to be it. Not necessarily a presenter. It might not, it might, media, maybe, maybe media's not for them. But if you can see it, you can be it. And also, it's, as you know, there's so much foolishness on, in, on the internet and on YouTube. So much foolishness. I want these kids to look at our show and realise that, you know what? A panel of three black people can have three different views. They can disagree, they can argue, passionately argue, but it'd be respectful. It doesn't have to be a shouting match, it doesn't have to be cursing, it doesn't have to be a fight. We can disagree vehemently, but still respect each other and conduct ourselves in a way that is beholden to where we come from. Yeah. That's important to me. There's so much nonsense I see on YouTube, and I'm like, this is not what I want to see for black people. Yeah, do you know what? I'm going to say this to you. It's not just young people you're inspiration for. Just, you know, just I'm throwing that one out there for those over 35. Don't. But th that makes me happy as well. Don't, don't cut <laughs> us off yet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes me happy as well, Rodney. But you know what? The young ones are more impressionable. So the, so the older ones, if I'm inspiring older people older than me, that makes me so happy. It really does. Yeah. But my focus is on the young ones because I feel like we have an opportunity, our generation, Rodney, to shape the next hundred years. And we can't fail these young people. We have to make sure that when, they are, when they're our age, they're not having the same discussions around where's the black managers in football? Where's the black presenter on this program? Where are the black business leaders? We, we can't, if, if those discussions are happening, Rodney, in 20 years time, me and you have failed. So I, I tend to focus a little bit more on the young people because they're the ones that are gonna be the future, future leaders of the world. You know what, again, so much to say offline, but you're absolutely right in terms of, of, of the next generation coming up. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna say basically doing a fantastic job, definitely with the platform that you created. And um, thank you. I'm looking forward to more shows for sure. Oh, we've, got, we've got some good stuff coming. Yeah, I'm, well, you know, I'll be checking, trying try to keep, <laughs> keep my eye on what's happening on YouTube right. with the trailers. I'm thinking, what, what's going on, what's going on? We've got a lot coming, bro. Yeah, you, coming. You're almost challenging the Marvel universe, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I'm gonna move away, moving away from your your um, own creation to Talksport Radio. You know, I mm -hmm. I heard you obviously give a very passionate 
kind of not even so much speech to a way about what you wanted to see change in terms of the wider picture you know whether it's um, equality access opportunity you call it whatever you want you know but um how do you see yourself and talk sport you know moving forward are you going to be getting more opportunities with talk sport or i know you you mentioned briefly at the beginning that there might be something on the way but um yeah so you're talking about when i'm basically i've got a big mouth and no you haven't. I, I i often no i no. often I, I often shoot off first and then no, worry about the consequences later on no you no let me just before you give the answer let me just be very very clear you know i'm older than you and i can say this there have been many of us who have been in different fields of employment who have not been able to speak freely because of the tropes that have been dished out you have a platform and you've earned your stripes you spoke freely and passionately and i will and i know a lot of my friends will back you 100 percent. you didn't shoot your mouth off you didn't. I just let any, don't let anyone ever say that to you. What you did was appropriate at the time. Mm -hmm. So thank you. you know, thank I'm you. I'm just um, making it very clear so that people don't. No, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no, no. I appreciate that. So for those that don't know what we're talking about, um, yeah. I was on Talksport about three months ago. So I was invited to come on. This is off the back of the Black Lives Matter explosion and the George Floyd murder. Um, the reaction from a lot of corporations and individuals was, you know, a lot of bandwagon jump in i would call it um black squaring hashtagging you know hand wringing isn't it disgusting isn't it outrageous that's so bad black lives matter blah 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 i started seeing a lot of people that i work with and for jumping on that bandwagon as well as like no 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 that's not going to happen not on my watch so talk sports um i don't even know how it actually ah so the, the, the conversation kind of bled into from Black Lives Matter, it bled into representation in sports media and how bad it was. And TalkSport were doing the whole thing of like, yeah, we've got to do better, we've got to do better. Say the same old rubbish. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not having it. So they invited me to come on and talk about the lack of representation. They were not expecting me to... Um, actually, sorry, I'm, I'm getting all the timelines all wrong. It was initially Guardian. The Guardian did a podcast um, their, their football podcast around um, uh, activism from footballers and athletes off the back of Black Lives Matter. And I spoke very passionately on that show with Troy Townsend from Kick It Out about what I thought the problem was and what needed to be done. Max Rushton, who presents that, the, the Guardian football podcast, also presents a show on TalkSport. And he, a day or two later, said, I would love you to come on my show and basically just kind of say the same thing. So I did. But what he didn't know was that I was going to call, I called out TalkSport and I said, look, I just basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys done the black square. You guys doing the whole Black Lives Matter stuff. But if, how many black presenters are there on TalkSport? There was one. How many black producers are there on TalkSport? There was one. How many black reporters are there on TalkSport? None. Um, how many board members, how many senior leadership members are there on TalkSport? None. So in 20 plus years, you, you want to tell me about Black Lives Matter and representation and you get it. These times you've got your, and let's, let's, be, let's be straight. The one black presence they had was Hugh Wozencroft, who'd only been there six months anyway. So even he was new to the, new to the party. So I was like, you lot ain't getting off the hook. And I just, I just called them out live on air. 
told them how, how it was and said they were, you know, said they were embarrassing and said it was unacceptable. And when I was on the, the Guardian pod two days earlier, did the same thing, called them out. Because my attitude was this, and it still is this, Rodney. I'm at the point now where I don't care. I just don't care anymore. And if I feel it, I'm going to generally say it. And I'd almost respect, not respect, but I'd almost accept if a lot of these corporations said nothing. Just say nothing. When the Black Square thing happened, just do nothing. Because at least I respect consistency. I respect consistency. But don't tell me that Black Lives Matter and you're jumping on hashtag this and you're doing little two, three minute little montage videos about black representation. And then I look on your Christmas party and I'm not seeing one black face in that photo. I'm looking at your board members. I'm not seeing one black face. Be consistent. If you don't want to employ black people, that's your right. That's cool. Run with that line. Don't, don't flip and flop and try and, 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 and hoodwink me to believing that you believe about my, you back my people and you back the, the idea of equality, but really you don't. Because if you do, I will call you out. I'm at the point now where I don't care. They could have hung up on me. They could have blacklisted me. But they didn't. They, they listened to me. And the bosses reached out to me and said, you're right. You're totally right. It's embarrassing, the representation here. Um, and we want to work more with you, firstly, because we think that you're a good broadcaster. But secondly, we need people like you that understand the problem and have solutions. So just briefly, we, you know, since then, I've been speaking with the management and the editors about how to change that. And I'm a fair man. Rodney, if you mess up, I'll be the first to call you out. You can be my best friend. I will call you out if you mess up and do wrong. But where credit's due, I will give it. And my barometer, my metric for judging people and what they're changing is the George Floyd murder. That was, what, four months ago now. In that four months, TalkSport have done a lot of stuff. They've done a lot of stuff. Is it enough? Hell no. There is still so much to do in production, so behind the mic. But in the four months since George Floyd has, has, has been murdered, I've got opportunities there. They've given, they've given other, other black people opportunities, more women, the coverage. You know, I can't turn on TalkSport now without hearing Darren Ben or Jason or Jermaine Beckford or Andy Cole or um, Glenn Johnson or Darren Lewis or Hugh Wilson. You know what I mean? We're everywhere now. So there's a lot more to do. So let's not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to praise talk sport because there's, it's still embarrassing, the representation. However, in the four months that have gone by, what they've done has been something that I would think would be fair over a year. So for four months, I'm like, okay, you're backing up. I, I respond to action. You're backing up your words. And I'm very, very, uh, I'm very in, not integral, but I'm very centered in what they're doing. They've got apprenticeship schemes going on now for people from working class backgrounds, they're reaching out, they're, things are changing. It won't take, it won't, you know, it, it won't be an overnight thing, but things are changing. So, so just to kind of answer your question, yeah, I called them out and they responded. So, you know, I'll, I'll say fair play, but there's a lot of work to be done. There is something coming very soon, fingers crossed, with myself in regards to TalkSport. Um, that's, that's, I don't want to jinx it. So, so I'm coming, we're, we're, we're cooking up some, we're cooking up some, you know. That's I'm... good, that's good. You know, I'm glad you mentioned something about the apprenticeships because I think that's really important. And with your, with the experience that you, you've gained and you offer through your um, being a mentor, mm. it's key. And I, 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 you know, I, for me, I, I struggle um, with the whole incident 
emotionally like a lot of people did and I saw the the, the black square stuff and um, for me it was like watching people going to church and being able to confess and then carry on with their daily lives it was almost like everyone became a catholic not, not that i'm trying to say anything bad about it, but you know it was almost like yeah it's safe now we can say something mm -hmm. and it was very much like that and i just thought okay we'll 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 wait and see mm -hmm. in 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 12 months time what's been said and what's been done and we'll we'll measure up and, and see where, where we're all at but um yeah it's nice to hear that that things are things changing are and are moving in terms of yeah. talk, because i listen to talks all the time and i you, you, I, rem I was listening to it when Stan Collymore was on. That's how long ago yeah. I've been listening yeah, to it. Same, when same, he left, yeah. you know, it was almost like whistling in the wind, you know, so, yeah. um, you know, quite nice and uh, good stuff. You know, I want to, before we run away um, with our conversation and we'll leave TalkSport for a while, I just want to ask you about your, the love of football in terms of your team. Let's end yeah. it on, let's end it on a high. Mm -hmm. Arsenal. Yeah. Are you a happy man? Oh, um, I'm happier than I was six months ago. Just broader than Arsenal for a second. If I'm honest, and I'll, I'll, I'll be frank, for a few years, I have been slowly falling out of love with football for a number of reasons. Not alone. One my team, people are like, oh yeah, you would say that, your team's rubbish. Yes, it doesn't help when your team is rubbish as well. And I'll come to Arsenal last. Um, but a few reasons. One, the money thing and how much it costs to be in football, I think I just get disheartened by that. Yeah. I get to go to football for free because I work in the industry, but you know, it's expensive, man, to, to, mm. to keep up with football. Arsenal charging two grand for a season ticket. You know, I heard the other day that the England kit, Full kit is nearly two hundred pounds. Listen, have you seen my for, for for a child? <laughs> for what? I think for a child, the two. If you, if you get the whole kit, it's like a hundred. Is it for a child? No, maybe maybe it's an adult. Ooh. Maybe it's an adult. Socks, shorts, and 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 top. It's like it's 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 just like what's going on? <laughs> so the money thing really depresses me a little bit. Second thing was racism. Now, there's, I had a chat with a good friend of mine this morning, a journalist, Raphael Honingstein, who said, you know, he thinks that football, in terms of racism and addressing it, is one of the better industries because at least there's, there's visibility and at least there's an opportunity to call it out. He, said, he made the example of, in the food industry, if you're a chef, black chef, and you're being racially abused, who hears about that? Whereas in football, at least we hear about it. So I kind of took his point, but... Um, uh, the, the whole, I'm, un, I'm uncomfortable being part of an industry that seems to just not care about it. Does all the hand wringing, does all the statements, does all the big talking, all the fancy campaigning. But if it wanted to rid, rid racism, I think there's a way to do that. So there's that. But combine that with the fact that I looked at last season and the only team in the Premier League I enjoy watching was Man City. Liverpool are a phenomenal team and worthy champions. And there are some great things to admire and watch about Liverpool. But I don't love watching Liverpool. How many players do I love watching? I thought, I thought De Bruyne, Willian, Silva, one or two others. I just thought there's not many players that I love watching. And the, and the final thing for me was personalities. I just thought, there's no personality. Everyone's dry in football now. There's no characters in football anymore. You know what I mean? There's no personalities anymore. And that's linked with back to money. I think because there's so much money in the game now, players are marketed to within a, an inch of their lives. 
So it's very hard to kind of be yourself and be off the cuff when you're being told so you can't say anything because you say one wrong thing, you lose that brand deal. You say one wrong thing, you get fined. So I kind of understand why, but everyone, everyone, there's no, there's no Zlatans, even Pogba. Pogba is a charismatic figure and a person, but I think he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been clipped because he just, anything he says just gets, so that as well. And then you combine it with the fact that until Arteta came in, I think Arsenal were just an embarrassment, just an embarrassment. I just think it was beyond Arsenal failing. I felt for a long time, it was deliberate. When you're wow. doing the same mistakes constantly over and over and over again, at what point do you think to yourself, you're making the same mistakes over and over again. You're just trying to mess up now because you yeah. makes the same mistake eight times. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I just got disheartened with Arsenal with no intention or no plan. And as an Arsenal fan, I just didn't, I was disillusioned. Now I, I, I at least see a plan and I see a direction. Whether we fulfil it or not, we'll see. But um, I, 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 I'm enthused by what I'm seeing. So I, I, I wouldn't say I'm back in love with the game, but there's people like Thiago Alcantara coming to Liverpool today, you know, uh, Kai, Havertz, Kai Havertz, Williams at my team. I love them. I've always liked William. There are some ballers in this league. We lost Sane. I love Leroy Sane. I love that boy. Um, but there's players now that I'm like, okay, there's a few ballers here now. All right, let's go. You know, Fernandez at your club. There's some real ballers in this league that I'm like, this could be fun. This could be fun. So um, Bell's coming back to the league. So I'm slowly getting, but then the fan thing, so the fan thing as well, I'm chatting a lot now, the whole no fans in the ground. I'm worried, Rodney, that people are getting used to it. I think people are getting used to it and that worries me. Yeah, you, you know, you know um, what you say, and I'm conscious that we're going we're gonna to run out of time a little bit. Um, the fan thing is, is it's, it's part and parcel. There's, they're going to have to find a way with that. That's, that's, that's a, a conversation for those that are hiring, but they need to be smart. Yeah, they need to be smarter. Yeah. But yeah. The, the, the fans not being in the stadium isn't just about the, the pandemic. There is the cost as well. Because if you're paying silly money for stupid kids, then there is that. Look, you know what? We, we're going to run to time. I'm going to say um, thank you. And before we go, this is the thing. I introduce you yeah, and I say, you know, Jordan, Jarrett, Brian. Has there ever been a time when someone just says, it's Jordan? <laughs> uh... What it does in, in, in introing me? Just generally, you know, because every time, it doesn't matter what platform you're on, if it's on Channel 4, they use your full name. If it's on TalkSport, they use your full name. I mean, there's anyone, but your mum can't call that, you that, no, Jordan Jack I mean, Bryan, come that, here. No, that's, that's, that's different. On TalkSport and Channel 4, I mean, you, you have to give the person their full name. So that's different. But in, in my, my people then, no, JJB, J. See, they still do JJB, even that. They're still like, they can't even just say Jordan. But you know what? I've had that for 20 years. So I'm JJB's, I'm fine by it. I'd rather JJB than I've had Jordan Barrett Bryan. I've had Jordan Jarrett Byron. I've had, you know what I mean? So just, you know, it, it, it is what it is. My mum calls me Geordie, you know, Jay. No, man, I'm easy. Just get it right. I don't mind what you call me. Just get it right. When you get oh. my name wrong, that's like, okay. Oh, well, it's not that hard to pronounce you know what I mean it's like come on yeah well good I'll tell you what this is a good way to end I'm going to thank you Jordan Jared. no thank Bryan. you man yeah it's brilliant <laughs> brilliant stuff brilliant stuff and um, that's it for us today we had an interview with Jordan Jarrett Bryan and he is the TalkSport 
uh, TalkSport future host, let's whisper it, uh, Channel 4 <laughs> sports journalist and uh, founder and CEO and director of Blackademic. Uh, that was the man. We will see you very soon. Bye for now.